more ways. That's important to us, okay? Deal. All right, Pastor Gary, will you please come up? Will you welcome Pastor Gary Hebden um, with me? Hallelujah for Jesus. Man, it's good to see you all. It is a good day, and uh, we have this marvelous opportunity and privilege today to honor Jessica by affirming and confirming her call of God to leadership within the household of God. And so, Jessica, if you wouldn't mind coming and standing up here. I want to just, before, I, before we do that, though, I want to just give a little context, because historically, within uh, the church at large around the world, the church has uh, not often uh, honored women as leaders within the household of God. And, uh, and some people have misapplied and misinterpreted uh, some of the writings of the New Testament to, to kind of keep women down. Now, I am not uh, very PC. I'm not politically correct. I don't like it. I don't intend to be. So, so doing this is not an attempt to be somehow accepted in society today, because I really don't care. What I really care about, well, I care to some extent. I, if, if Rick's not liking me, I'm, I'm, it bothers me, you know. But uh, what I really care about is being square with what God is all about. What is God up to? What is God doing? That's what really, truly matters to me. And, uh, you know, I think about some of the ways in which we have historically misinterpreted the Bible. We've done that because sometimes we've not really understood the context in which something is being said in the Bible that causes us then to institute uh, ways of, of uh, adopting policies and the way we do things. For instance, if, if you would go to the Old Testament and you listen to Paul the Apostle, you would think that he's, he's really good with slavery. He's not, with sla he's not good with it. But there's a couple places in there where he says, you know, you, you slaves, you need to obey. Uh, he says in Colossians and in, in, in Timothy, he says to Timothy, the slaves need to honor their masters. Peter says that as well. And you'd have to imagine that maybe, is he suggesting that slavery is okay? No, not at all. Same thing when he's talking about women. There's a context back in those days Slavery was a big deal. And so what Paul is doing is he's addressing the fact, not that he's in agreement or that God is in agreement with slavery. In fact, God is absolutely opposed to it. It's Jesus who sets us free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so it's the Lord who sets people free. But the context was a very strong sense that people were accepting of slavery. And so the issue really was, is how, how do those of you who find yourself in that setting, but now you're a follower of Jesus, how should you conduct yourself within the context of society as you're living? Same thing with women. Women were very much under the thumb of men in those days, very much so. And so the idea, again, was not how should women uh, be released or not released, it's, you're in, living in this context of society, how should, you, how should you conduct yourself as a woman of God in that context? But if you look at the Bible, God has released some marvelous women to leadership, taking the Old Testament, Deborah, 
Deborah, as you know, uh, back in the Old Testament, she was one of the judges of Israel. That means men came to her to have her tell them what's up. And she would sit under the terebinth tree and they would have to come. Barak wasn't even going to go to war unless she agreed to go with. You know, uh, they had to deal with the fact that God appointed this woman to be in charge. And she was a judge of Israel. You get to the New Testament. Anna. Anna was a prophetess serving in the temple. And she was one of the very first people that God spoke to and said, this little baby that's coming in today, it's the Messiah. It's my only begotten son. And as a prophetess of God, she was the one who one of the very first people to know and to acknowledge who Jesus was. You have uh, Phoebe. Phoebe is a, a woman who Paul uh, commends to the church in, in Rome and says, she is a servant of God. I commend her to you. And what does Jesus say about a servant? He says, the greatest in the kingdom is a servant of all. We have greatness standing here in front of us. <laughs> you know. uh, uh, Priscilla. Priscilla was an evangelist and a pastor in Rome along with her husband. And Caesar was so unhappy, he kicked her out of Rome. She had to flee Rome. But she was an evangelist and a pastor, and Paul recognized that. So when you look through the Bible, there are numerous, and I could go on telling other stories of women in the Bible, that God had released and appointed to places of leadership. In our current day, not only does Jessica have opportunity to stand alongside of some very godly biblical women, but we have present-day women as well. I think of Melissa Stelly and Hannah Bemis up at Turning Point, both pastors within the family of Open Bible. And think of Wendy Aslan over in Port Angeles. And I think of, of uh, Andrea Lance, who is the district director over in Western Washington. Uh, and, and Paula Sutherland, a pastor down in Eugene, Oregon. Right here in our own midst, uh, Chris Armstrong, recognized as a pastor within the family of God. You know, Jessica will stand alongside women that God has called. And if you think about it, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, the fields are white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. Only men would consider it a win to eliminate half of the labor force, right? I mean, it's like... <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> you know, the laborers are few. Well, let's eliminate half the workforce. You know, no, no, absolutely not. And so for us, we recognize that God recognized, called, and anointed women for ministry and leadership within the family of God. And so that we have opportunity to do this morning and... Uh, Jessica, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture, and then I am going to uh, pray. And I'm going to ask you a few questions. Could, could you, would you mind standing over here next to Rick? Come over, uh, Jessica, on this side and stand next to Rick so you can stand between us. And uh, you shouldn't be weirded out by that, but, you know, it's just... <laughs> I'm left-handed. So... so um, Here's the scripture. It's Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And Jessica, please take this very personally. 
because this is a very sober thing. Those of us who have, have that mantle upon us recognize it's not something that we want to just simply hang on the wall so everybody knows, you know, and everybody bows down to. No, we, Jesus made it clear, we're servants. And uh, we should take that seriously and soberly. Uh, we should not be overly impressed with ourselves, but we ought to be very, very, very impressed with the household of God that he's given us opportunity to serve. So take this passage very seriously. It says this, Keep watch over yourself and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. These folks, by the blood of Jesus, are a part of the family. And we need to never forget the cost that God paid for that to happen. 1 Peter 5, verses 2 through 4 says, Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Four questions. Will you commit yourself, Jessica, to pursue the Lord on behalf of this congregation and community with humility and with the fruits and gifts of the Holy Spirit? Will you seek wisdom and counsel from the Holy Spirit as you fulfill your calling to serve our Lord and His church? Will you commit to living your life both publicly and privately in a manner that honors the Lord who we serve and worship? And will you be a good student of the Word of God and teach, preach, exhort, and encourage in a manner that redeems, reconciles, and releases people to the full potential and call of God in their own lives? Amen. Family of God, would you stand, stretch your hands out towards her as we pray. Father, I thank you for Jessica. Today, it is a joy and an honor to recognize that you have sovereignly mantled her with leadership within your family. Lord, we honor that. We thank you for it. We thank you for the hard work she's put in to get into this place, that, Lord, she could be used of you because she believes in you and she believes in what you've accomplished and she loves the people that need to know you and, to, and loves the people that do know you as a part of your great family. I pray that you would give her great wisdom and that, Lord, she will be filled with grace and mercy and yet, Lord, justice as, Lord, she serves your purposes within the household of God. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Jessica, it is with great honor that I present to you this license within the family of Open Bible. And uh, absolutely, God bless you. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to be speaking from 2 Kings chapter 6, verses uh, 1 through 7. We won't get there quite yet. And uh, this is just in case my good friend Dale gets out of hand, I can take care of business. Uh, 
to begin by asking you a question. The question is, what do you value above everything else? If you could write down the five things that you value most above everything else that you value, because all of us have probably hundreds of things that we value. But if you just take the top five and you wrote those five things down, what would those values be? And uh, I have a feeling that your values list of that top five is gonna be very similar to my own. So let me, let me give you a suggestion of my top five and, and uh, see if the, how they fit with yours. The, the first thing, of course, is I value God. I value God. It's kind of like, well, duh. I mean, the, there'd be no breath in our lungs. There would be no life right now. There certainly would be no eternity if it wasn't for God. I value God. Another thing that I absolutely value is my family. I love my family. I am so grateful for them. I absolutely don't mind boring you with good stories of my grandkids, you know, because I love them and I love my kids and I love my wonderful wife that, that God has gifted me with. I love her and I love my three children and I love my six grandboys and two granddaughters. They mean so much to me. What a gift from God they are. Another thing I value is my friends. I value friends. Uh, and the older I'm getting, the more I'm valuing because they're diminishing in number. <laughs> Some of them have already made that journey heavenward. Uh, so please be my friend. And uh, uh, I need all the friends I can get. I value my friends. I value them because the Bible talks about a friend closer than a brother. And, and my, numerous of my friends, what I'm so grateful about is that they love me in spite of me. That they love me even when I have fouled something up. That they, that they still will consider me a friend even though maybe my behavior in a moment or a time or a season was less than friendly, but they're still my friend. They're, they really are family in a, in a different kind of a way. Ah, I just hugely value my friends. I value America. I love that, we are, that I was born in this nation. I've been to a lot of other nations in the world, and frankly, some of them, those trips I've come back from and wanted to kiss the ground when I got out of the plane. You know, I, I think people, you know, you look at our nation today and it's so divided and it's just crazy. And there are literally millions of people in America that don't value this nation. And, and uh, yeah, it, it wears on me and bothers me because I think, man, you just don't get it. As imperfect as we are and as, as crazy as we get and as divided as we get, there are a lot of places in this world that are a whole lot worse than us. Uh, this America is a marvelous nation to live in. And I'm grateful that we live here. There's another thing that I really value. I value tacos. 
How many had that on your list? <laughs> yeah, and bacon too. Yes, I do. <laughs> I value tacos. You know what's 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 interesting is that is that uh, my wife she doesn't even ask me what I want for, want for dinner anymore. She hasn't asked me that in a long time because she knows if she says, well, what, do you, what do you think? What do you want for dinner? It's going to be the same answer every time. <laughs> Tacos. So she doesn't waste her time asking me. What she does instead is she says, oh, by the way, this is what we're having for dinner tonight because she likes to have a variety of things. And then every once in a while, she'll, she'll, she'll say to me with a big smile on her face, hey, I'm going to make tacos for dinner. You know, and she's just grinning ear to ear because she knows it's like a way to my heart. I love tacos. I value tacos. And, uh, I, and you, you know, I appreciate them a great deal. But now here's the deal. If you look at that list, there are things on that list. Because, because if, if you think about things you value, you kind of can put them in, in an order. Some things might go on the same plane, but there's kind of an order and some things you really value and some things you value a little less, but you still value them. And uh, you kind of have this order of values. And um, some of the things on that list, I'd be willing, the cost, because when you value something, oftentimes there's a cost attached to it. Some of the things on that list, I absolutely would give my life for. The cost of my life would not be too great for some of the things on that list. Not at all. Because the value is that high. Now I gotta tell you, I'm not willing to die for tacos. I love tacos, but I'm not going to die for them. I mean, think about it. I mean, it's not even reasonable. If I died for tacos, I wouldn't get to joy, enjoy them anymore. I mean, it's like, why die for tacos? Live and enjoy them another night, you know? Uh, uh, so I'm not willing to die for tacos, but I value tacos. I love them. It's my favorite food to eat. Uh, bacon is another thing. Uh, some of the things, though, I would die for. So when you think about values and your values, values have, have a cost to them. And uh, values affect our decision making. Am I going to be willing to pay that cost? If I go to some place and somebody says, hey, I got one taco left, I'll sell it to you for $275. I'm thinking, I love tacos, but yeah, I'm not ready to die for them. You know, it's, you know, uh, what else you got? You know, you know, you, you, you associate your values with decisions you're going to make. Your values are what matters to you. What really matters to you? About my grandkids, my kids, my wife. They matter a great deal to me. There is no cost too much when it comes to them, for certain. Now here's the, here's the question I have, a different question. What matters most to God? What, what really matters most to Him? Because if God is a high value to me, and He matters to me, then what matters to God should most certainly matter to me. Should matter to me. 
So I want, I want to just, we're going to get to, to Kings here in a minute, but I want you to see with me for a moment in Matthew 23. Because in Matthew 23, Jesus is talking to some religious leaders. These are people who got ordained, got licensed, who, who hold a credential like some of us do. And because they hold that, they are tasked with the responsibility of making sure that everybody knows what matters most to God. Because if it matters most to God, if it's important to God, it ought to affect our decision making and how we then live out our lives. Are you tracking with me? So we need to know what matters most to God. But, but uh, here he's talking to these credentialed people and they've kind of inverted the list. They've got some things upside down. They've taken some things that yes, matter, but they've elevated them over what really matters most. And Jesus isn't very happy with them. And so here's what it says. He, Jesus has this encounter to them. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected, here it is, you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, the way in which you are dealing with people. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So, here's the deal. Whenever you hear Jesus say, whoa, when he says, whoa, 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 right away, your attention, your ears should prick up. It's kind of like when we were children and your mother didn't just call you, you know, by your, whatever, your, your nickname or something else. She calls you by your full name. You know, it's like when Rick is young and his mother says, hey, Rick, I need you to do this, that, and the other, and he's not paying attention. You know, hey, Rick, I, I told you, you know, and he's not paying attention, but pretty soon it's Richard Aubrey Sherman II. <laughs> now, when he hears his full legal name, he knows he's in a court of law, and he knows he'd better, he'd better listen you see, when you hear Jesus say, whoa, 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 it means, okay, time to listen up. And Jesus says, listen, whoa, you goofballs, you guys with credentials, you know, you should know what really matters most. But instead of focusing on what matters most, you have push that down the list and you've elevated something that matters, but you have put it at the top. So now it's more important to you that the people tithe than you care about them as a person or a people. And then, and then he says, look, I'm not telling you that you should neglect tithing. Say, no, no, you shouldn't neglect that. That's important. But you should never forget what's most important to God. What is most important? So he says, so you should have really been focused on the latter while not neglecting the tithing, you know? But you, you kind of inverted it, and Jesus isn't happy because they weren't focused on what matters most to God. 
And the question really is, what is it that matters most to God? Well, I want, I want, us to, I want you to look at it with me through 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And uh, it's kind of a story out of the life of Elisha that's just kind of dropped in a series of things that happened in the life of Elisha. And, you, and, you know, it's kind of a cool story. And you, you, but what's the point of it? And so l- let me read it. Here it is. Uh, and the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, see now the place where we, will, where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, go. Then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water and he cried out and said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and he threw it in there and he made the iron float. Therefore, he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. End of story. That's it. You just kind of want to say, oh, well, cool. Yeah, cool. I mean, these things are not light. I don't want to damage the school's floor. Uh, These things aren't light. You know, but Elisha made the thing float. And you think, okay, uh, what, does it, what does that story have to do with me? What, what's the message in there? What, what, is it, what does it have to do with me? And well, the, the reality of it is our understanding of this passage or our misunderstanding of this passage has, goes right to the heart of why so many people are rejecting God and rejecting the church. It's the reason why we, if you want to talk to somebody about Jesus, sometimes they're not happy with you talking about Jesus. It's the reason why you see a lot of people doing God in some kind of a way without being a part of the church. Because we have a tendency to, to oftentimes value something that God hasn't put at that same level of value. Oh, he may value it, but what does God matter most? And the church, sadly, we have had, we have had a history of valuing the wrong things most. And the consequence of that is there are people who are running from the church and want nothing to do with it, which is affecting our society today, and it's affecting the morals of our society. It's affecting the values of our society. It's affecting the decisions of our society because our values affect our decisions. And if we don't value what God values... Well, now we're going to make some really rotten decisions. And we think they're the right decisions because we think we've put the right things up high. This, this is an interesting story. I'm just going to, I'm going to give it to you again, just, but in my, my words. So, so Elisha has a group of, of, of young men. They sense the call of God on their lives. They believe in God. And so these young men, they... they 
want to learn from Elisha the prophet. So they're following Elisha the prophet around, kind of like Elisha did Elijah. Uh, they're following around, and Elisha's kind of trying to disciple them and school them a little bit. So they, they have a place that they actually live in down near Jericho. Jericho is right by, close to the Dead Sea, right next to the, close to the Jordan River. And, and uh, they have a place they live in. But there's begin to be so many of them that, that are feeling the potential of the call of God in their life to be a prophet and they want to learn from Elisha. This thing's getting heavy, just a second. The older I get, the heavier that is to wield. <laughs> the, uh, there's getting to be so many of them, the place that they're living is just not big enough. So they go to Elisha and they say, Elisha, do you th- would it be all right if we went down by the Jordan and cut down some trees and... and and got some beams out of that and, and enlarged the place that we live in so there's more room for us to sleep in and actually live together. And, and Elisha said, yeah, 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 that's no problem. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And one of them says, well, hey, you mind going with us? Would you come with us? And Elisha says, sure, yeah, I'll go with you. So they all go down to the Jordan River. It's not very far, just very close to Jericho. They go down there and they start wielding their axes and they are whacking these trees down and they're knocking them down when suddenly one guy who has a borrowed axe, he, he, he didn't have the money to buy his own axe, so somebody back in Jericho was kind enough to lend him the axe. And so he starts winging his axe. I'm not going to do it. You're all safe. He starts taking wax at a tree, and on one of those swings, the axe head, because it is not very well attached, kind of like this one, please don't wing this thing, uh, the axe head flies off the handle, ends up in the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River is very muddy there. It's not clear water. I've been right down in that very area. And the Jordan River connects the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the lowest place on planet Earth. So no water flows out of it, everything flows into it, and because nothing can flow out of it, all of the minerals and all the mud and everything else flows into it, but it can't go anywhere. Therefore, it is the Dead Sea because there's so much minerals in there, it just, you, nothing can live in it. It's, it's too much, there's nothing that can flow out. So, so the Jordan is bringing all this stuff down and the closer you get to the Dead Sea, it, it's pretty muddy water. And you can't see. So he's standing there at the edge of it. You can't see where that axe head landed. And he says, oh, no. Oh, Elisha, Elisha. He said, I borrowed that axe. And the axe head is in the water. And I I can't find it. I'm I'm stuck here. And Elisha says, hey, all right. Where'd you, where'd you throw it? Well, it's, it's over in this area somewhere. Elisha, he gets a, a, a stick off of one of the limbs. He trims it up a little bit. He throws this stick in the water. Axe head floats. Incredible. Elisha says, okay, go get it. Man goes out and gets it. End of story. Thank you very much. Cool. Yeah, nice story. What, what does that have to do with anything? 
Why does that even matter? Why is that story there? This floating axe head. Well, it's because we oftentimes, we, we, we look at these stories and we think, well, what is it that it's about? And we, again, Jesus said, you guys get things upside down. You, rather than you focusing on what really matters, you focus on the wrong thing. So what do we do as, as theologians? We start thinking, well, you know what? There must be some secret kind of message of God in the murky waters of the Jordan. Must be something about that dirty water. Well, um, or maybe, maybe there's something about that axe head. God wants us to, God wants us to, there's some really revelation of God in that axe head, you know? And so there must be something in there that, that we're, we're missing. And as great theologians, we work hard to try and make the case for things. And the reality of it is, when, when God that story in the Bible, the truth of the matter is, it had less to do with the axe head, and it had more to do with the knot head. You following with me? If you, if you weigh the value between this knot head and this axe head, which is Jesus going to die for? Which, which of those two things really matters to God? It's definitely not this. It is this. And we oftentimes, we're looking for all these great revelations and mysteries and things out of, out of what's going on there. And we miss the simple reality of what God wants you and I to know. What really mattered to God is not the ax head, but the knothead who didn't bother to make sure that the ax head was secured to the handle before he started trying to chop down a tree. What a knothead. And consequently, he's lost his thing. Now, this is a big deal because in the book of Le Leviticus, the law of Moses, here's what the law of Moses says. It says in Leviticus, if you borrow something from somebody and you lose it, you have to restore that. And not only do you have to restore, but you have to also add another 20% value. So here's this guy. They're living under the law of Moses. And he knows full well. He's a prophet. They're learning the word of God from Elisha. He knows full well that he has lost an axe head. And if he had the ability to purchase an axe head, well, he would have already done that. It had been his own axe. But he doesn't come with his axe head because he didn't have the money to buy an axe. So he has to go borrow one. And now the law of Moses says, you got to restore that thing plus 20%. He didn't have the money to do that. And what happens if he, doesn't have, if he owes a debt and he doesn't have the money to buy it? He becomes a slave to the one that, that he owes a debt to. Becomes an indentured servant. He now is basically owned by the guy who truly owns the axe. If he can't restore it plus 20%, he is in slavery. He went down to that river, a free man. He goes back to Jericho knowing full well he's going to be a slave. He's lost his liberty. He's lost his freedom. It's gone. 
So he's saying, oh, Elisha, Elisha, you know, oh, I lost that. I, that ax head, it went in the water. And God is such a good God that through Elisha, that knothead who didn't make sure it was secured on there matters to God. The ax head, he didn't care about the ax head. I mean, it matters in a different sense. It's just less of a matter because, because you could ask the question, the real owner of the ax, did God care about that man? Yeah. And would, would it matter to God that that, uh, that guy's valuables was lost? Yeah, it would matter. That's why the law of Moses says, hey, if you lose something, you've got to restore it to the guy. Because God, God's a good God. He's a just God. But in this situation, here's a man. He has no ability to take care of restoring it. Therefore, he's going to go back and become a slave. And he's, he's like overwhelmed. So what does Elisha do? He says, hey, you know, just a minute. Where is that? Okay. Cuts a stick, throws it out there. A chunk of iron floats. Okay, go get it. He gets it. End of story. It's end of story. What does all that mean? There must be some hidden meaning in the murky waters. There must be some meaning about the power of God to raise an axe head. No, it's a simple thing. It's a very simple thing. God cares more about the knothead than he does the axe head. It's a simple thing. God cares way more about it. He cares way more about you and I. You see, when it comes to you and I, it's not what you do or what you've done that matters most to God. It, it's, it's not what you possess. It's not what you give. It's, it's none of those kinds of things that the church typically turns upside down and says, here's what values and here's what really matters. No, ultimately, Jesus says, yeah, no, all those things really do matter. But he wants you to know that above it all, you as a living, breathing human soul matter to God more than everything else, more than everything else. You matter to God. In fact, I want you just to say with me out loud, I matter to God. I'm going to count to three, and then I, when I say three, then everybody just say it out loud, I matter to God. The reason I'm doing that is because the Bible talks about the relationship between mouth and ears, and that when we hear certain things, it elevates our faith. And, and I want you to hear yourself confess extremely important truth. It is not about the depth of your failure. It's not about what you're still goofing up. It's not about how well and perfected you have become in living out Christianity. All of those things matter. Yes, they do. But when it comes down to it, what matters most at the top of God's list is simply you. You matter to God. So I want your, your ears to hear your mouth confess something so important, so important that Jesus died for you. He didn't die for an ax head. He died for you. I matter to God. On three. One, two, three. I matter to God. You absolutely do. You matter to God. So here's the deal. As followers of Jesus... Certainly as those of us who 
who have been tasked with, with leading the household of God. But not just us, because the credentials that we receive can become nothing more than a piece of paper on a wall, and they may mean nothing. I know a whole lot of people that have that piece of paper, and it's just pointless and meaningless. They ought to just tear it up and throw it away, because their behavior is such that it appears that they have a whole lot of other values other than the things that God values most. And what does God value most? Sitting right here in this room, right here. You matter more to God than everything else. So much so that Jesus died for you. Died for you. We, we sang a song, Jessica led us in today, and it, 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 it's quoting John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't say, for God so loved the axe head that he raised it in the muddy waters doesn't say that, that God so loved what you would do for him or what you would give for him or anything of the kind. didn't say any of that. It says, for God so loved the world. You know, there's some people in this world that I have a little trouble loving. There's some people in this world that, that, that appears he finds it possible to love better than I can. I consider them a knothead and I can't get past that they're a knothead. He loves the knothead more than the axe head. He loves this. So here's what matters most to God. What matters most to God should absolutely matter to me. It has to. What matters most to God absolutely must matter to me if God truly is a high value to me. And what God values, we should put a high value on. And what is it that God values? Human souls. God, God cares so much so that the cost was not too high for him to die for human souls. Some of those people that cut me off on Sprague, but Jesus is like, yeah, I love them. I'm serious, Lord. Let's talk about this a minute, you know? You're getting ready to pull into the parking lot at Costco and somebody comes quickly and, and grabs that spot. And now you've got to park on the back 80 somewhere, you know? And this goofball knew full well you were sitting there with your blinker on ready to go. And because the car pulled out the wrong way, they get to pull in. Seriously, Lord? You, you really don't love that person, do you? You know? Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. And things certainly even far worse than that. If God values the human soul, should not I? Should not you? Why, and I'm going to close, why, why, why is it important to us to value what God values? Well, because... Values keep us grounded in the grace and truth of God. They keep us grounded to that. You see, what happened to those Pharisees, those religious leaders? They kind of lost touch 
with being grounded with what really matters to God. Therefore, they elevated the wrong things. And so if I want to be grounded to what is important, then I got to keep in mind what matters most to God. And, and values establish priorities. Establishes priorities. What really matters most? I can't, it's, it's been more times than I, than I, you know, would want to try and review, but how many times that I've been on vacation and someone passed away back home? Do I, do I go home? Do I stay on vacation? My family really needs a vacation. So I love back home, somebody passed away. What do I value? What's, what's my priorities? What am I willing to sacrifice? What am I willing to surrender in order to let, to let what God values most know that's where I want to live. That's what I want to be. Have I succeeded? No, I failed way too many times. But I keep coming back saying, God, please, I want to have a heart after you. I want to just pray if you just bow your head just for a second. And then, and, and, because I, I want to, there may be nobody here. But if you're here today and you, sometimes you wonder if your decision making matters, you know, if, if God is somehow just hating on you because of decisions you made, I want you to know that God values you more than all that stuff. And if, if, if you're kind of there and you think, I don't know, if, will heaven have a place for me? Will, will he make room for me there? Because I'm still, still so short of what I could be. And that's you. I'm asking you to kind of keep your head bowed because, because there might, it might be somebody significant who just needs to say, hey, in terms of leadership even here, that would say, yeah, sometimes I wonder, I wonder. I just hope that God will still accept me. And if, if it's you and you'd say, I need to be reminded, I matter more to God than all these other things. If that's you, just lift your hand and quickly put it back down. I matter to God. Amen. 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 And for, for the rest of us, all of us, every one of us, we need to just say, God, please help me. Help me treat others the way you would want to, us to because they matter. Father, we come to you in the wonderful, precious name of Jesus. I am so grateful that I I matter to you. Boy, and sometimes I'm overwhelmed with that because it's just incomprehensible that you could take a goofy guy like myself who is not very religiously impressive. Some, sometimes overly ignorant in how I think sometimes lost in my own space and time rather than seeing the bigger picture. And yet, somehow, you, you accept this knothead over 
the axe head, what I do. You allow me to live free from the bondage and slavery of sin and death with the knowledge and the hope of eternal life. Not that I deserved it, but because you loved me, I matter to you. For those who are here, Lord, today, I pray that, Lord, you would just confirm to them, Lord, how much, how much you love them. You're for them. They matter to you. And help us, Lord, help us, Lord, treat others in the way you'd have us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Two quick questions. And then I'm going to sit down that I'm not even going to answer. These are for you to answer yourself. Have you valued lesser things over what God has valued most? Have you done that? What's your response to that? What are you, how, are you going to, how are you going to adjust that? Second question, what are some practical steps you can begin to take so that you are placing greater value on what God values most? What are some practical steps? Do that. Do that. Why? Because we value God that much. Hallelujah for Jesus. God bless you.